he's just such a creeper, like appearing out of nowhere from a raw. Who knows if a human pregnancy test is going to detect an alien baby? Destiny, who cares about destiny? I just want to lose. Hello, and welcome to Pass the Hot Sauce, a Roswell podcast. I'm Lisa Abigail. And I'm Lorena Rose, and we're here to talk about every episode of the 1999 WB series Roswell, one episode at a time and spoiler-free. Today we are discussing Season 1, Episode 20, Max to the Max. According to IMDb, this is the one where a mysterious being called Nisado assumes Max's identity and kidnaps Liz in an attempt to trap the secret government agent chasing him. This episode was written by Tony Graffia. It's the third of six Roswell episodes that she writes. It was directed by Patrick Norris. This is his second of 13 episodes, so we will see him several more times. And this episode originally aired on the 1st of May, 2000. Unfortunately, Eliza could not join us for this episode, but we do have a very special guest with us, Nomi, from the We Want Roswell Back campaign. Welcome, Nomi. Hi, everyone. I'm so happy to be here. Do you want to tell everyone a little bit about yourself and about how you got involved with Roswell? Sure. So um, as you all know, my name is Nomi. I admin and moderate a couple of Facebook groups and pages for Roswell, but primarily I handled the Twitter account for Roswell Back. Um, this was started with a dear friend of mine named Debbie, who I met a couple years ago through one of the Facebook groups and pages. Um, her story is really endearing. She was bedridden about a couple years ago and she started to watch shows. And at the time, Roswell was on Netflix. So she was been watching Roswell. And given that she was bedridden, you know, the character of Max really appealed to her with that power of healing. And I think that really resonated with Debbie. And then my story is, um, I'm like Lorena, in which I watched every episode of Roswell religiously on the WB. (laughs) Um, I mean, it was the show that I always came back to. I didn't really watch any of the other shows. I sometimes would catch Seventh Heaven, but it was Roswell. It was always Roswell. And at the time, I really, and still to this day, I love Marie and Michael. I stand for candy, I think, is what I would say. (gasps) Me too. Um, (laughs) And so, you know, when Roswell ended, um, I then was in college and I would read fan fiction, you know, to to fill the sad void in my heart for Roswell. And about 15 years after that, I, it was ignited again when the ATX festival happened with the reunion of the reunion of the Roswell cast with Shiri, Jason, mm-hmm. Mahandra, Brandon and Nick and Jason Kadams. And so then I went back to Facebook groups and pages, met other fellow Roswellians. At the time I met Debbie, we started adminning a couple groups and I was like Debbie in the fact that we really wanted to see a continuation of Roswell. We weren't okay that it had ended. And Debbie was like, I'm, I'm with you, Nomi. And I had told her how, you know, back in the day, I even sent in like Tabasco bottles because we wanted those seasons to come back. Mm-hmm. And I told Debbie, I was like, you know, Twitter is the new Tabasco. And I had coined that phrase. Debbie's like, you know, Nomi, if you want to do it, let's do this. And so I was like, yeah, but we got to reach out to like the head honchos of like the Roswell fandom, you know? And so I had reached out to a couple, but the one who totally reached back quickly and so considerately was Lena from the crashdown.com, who if you guys know, mm-hmm. crashdown.com is amazing. Yes. And Lena reached back right away and she took notice of our passion 
she basically mentored us a lot too. She was like, you girls, you guys got to come up with a hashtag and Nomi, you might want to come up with the Twitter account and like, let's, you know, like really do this. So with her as having her as a platform and an asset was really necessary for these Roswell back campaigns. Mm-hmm. We campaigned around 2015 to 2016. And our goal was really to have the original cast come back. And every now and then, you know, we would get original cast members that would reply to these tweets, you know, and we, we try to really have that hashtag trend. And it was an amazing time. We had really great campaigns. And of course, Mahandra and Brendan then came out with that lovely Baron and Toluca trailer. Yes. And Mahandra, <laughs> it was her love letter to the OG fans is what she said, her script. And so we've now transferred all our work with Roswell back now into Baron and Toluca. And there's been many major accounts, even um, night shift accounts, fan uh, accounts of Mahandra and Brendan have now partaken in this. You know, it's really not a matter of of if, but like when we'll see this in the screens, but it's been great, you know, connecting with Roswellian fans and what you guys do in this podcast, connecting other Roswell fans. That's what it's all about. It's really connecting everyone together because the love of the show of the cast and crew and, and all the fans. And it's just it's just so great to see where this is going still, you know, 20 years later. So well, awesome. I'm so excited you're here with us, and you asked to be part of Max to the Max, so this is an episode that you're excited to talk about, correct? Yes. (laughs) All right, so should we dive into the episode? Sure, let's dive in. Let's do it. So I think this is the first one we've had where we pick right back up where we left off in the last episode. Mm -hmm. They are right there. Max has just told them Tess is one of them, and Michael is like, huh? What are you talking about? (laughs) So they go into the cave where the pods are. It's right there next to the big rock where Isabel and Michael were having their dream sex. Oh, yeah. Interesting. (laughs) But yeah, somehow Max magically just suddenly knows where to go and what needs to be done to get into their little, like, secret pod room. Tess is not confused, but (laughs) Michael and Izzy are very confused about how he knew how to do this, but... Now they're all in there, they see their pods, and they start to learn a little bit more about their past. And Isabel is freaking out. Yeah. I love how Max is like, I just knew. I just knew how to open the rocks. Yeah. I just knew. Just like Michael just knew how to read the star map and right. like knew that he needed to set a symbol in front of the library. Like It's just another, like they just suddenly, their memories come back and they know how to do it. Yeah, I think it's possible that they may have known about these caves from watching Bill and Ted's bogus journey, because these are the same caves where Bill and Ted first meet the character of Death, who is played by our good friend, William Sadler, a.k.a. Jim Valenti. (laughs) Right, right. It all comes full circle. (laughs) So I was wondering, watching this Michael was more receptive to the book. He's always been the most open and the most curious about their alien side. And so I know that Tess feels like she's destined to be with Max, but I kind of wonder why she didn't just go to Michael in the first place. I think he would have been a better into the group. If she had just been like, hey, guess what? I'm an alien. He would have been like, oh my gosh, that's awesome. I've been looking for you. Yeah. (laughs) Especially because he didn't really have this sense of belonging anywhere, right? Like Isabel and Max had their parents and he had Hank. 
and that was terrible. Yeah. So it would have been better. Yeah, and he's, yeah, he's been the one who's actively been looking, and, like, he's the one who set the symbol in front of the library for Nacero to find, so he's obviously going to be the most receptive to the situation. Yeah. And then we get Ed Harding, who just smushes himself through the cave wall. Amazing. (laughs) Max has already opened the door, but he's just like, no, 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 I'm not using that. Let me just teleport myself inside this cave. Pretty cool. And then this is where I think they really confirm my long-running theory since that showed up, that he is Nacedo! Ah! Yeah. <laughs> we finally have that mystery solved. I can now say that your weeks and weeks of predictions are correct. Yay. <laughs> and he is really afraid of Pierce. So this is where we set up kind of this central conflict of the episode where Nacedo thinks Pierce is closer to them than anyone else ever has been, and so he's ready to do whatever it takes. He says, if I have to kill people, I kill people. And Tess is like, wait, what? <laughs> I, I didn't sign up for that. Right. <laughs> I just wanted to find my little pod people, and now I found them. Right. And <laughs> it's like, I know you're not father of the year, but I don't know where we're going to go that far, right? So... Yeah, Yeah, he's just a serial killer. Good to know. (laughs) And then we cut to someone watching video of my least favorite example of Foley work or whatever it is, where Michael is loudly playing ping pong when he and Isabel are talking about the visions in sexual healing. And whoever it is has a communicator. Is this a third communicator that we're seeing? Because don't the kids have both of them at this point? They never got the second one from Topolsky because she got kidnapped while she was waiting to meet them mm-hmm. right so whoever kidnapped Topolsky now has the second communicator mm-hmm. got it yes okay so we go to the credits and then we come back to Michael he's right. there with Max and Isabel and the book has etchings of them as teenagers what really accurate yes very accurate it's almost like they were planned max as usual is like destiny who cares about destiny i just want to lose (laughs) Uh, and then we have izzy and michael further confirming oh are we supposed to be together because if uh tess and max are supposed to be together doesn't that mean we're supposed to be together yeah i also want to point out another example here of liz knowing something important about the aliens before isabel and michael do she was at the library with max and he was like oh yeah tess took a book out of the wall and then he didn't tell michael he didn't tell isabel about it right right drives me crazy they're always doing this yeah which like i know when i was a teenager this stuff didn't bother me as much as it does now like i still love the show but yeah you want to see them work more as a team and like you know as a grown-up i want to see them work more as a team oh my gosh lorena i feel the same way when i watch a show that wasn't a big deal when i was a teenager and now seeing it now i'm like you guys are not doing this right you guys could do this so much better (laughs) this could be so much more efficient if you all communicated with each other and the whole parts of michael and isabel making out it i would cringe because i just only saw michael with maria and it just it felt a little unnatural to me seeing that and I don't know Mm -hmm. even as a teenager and that still stands today like even when I see it now I kind of have to look away from the TV you know like just yeah same yeah we touch on it throughout the episode they're like brother and sister yes brother and sister (laughs) 
So it's just... Yeah. Brother and sister who just casually mention to their other brother that Isabel might be pregnant with Michael's child. Right? And Max is like, yeah. uh, you can't get pregnant from a dream. And Isabel's like, are you sure? Because we're aliens. Right. Which, I mean, fair. Who knows how it happens. At this point, I think they should just go to the CVS and get a pregnancy test. And we'll see how that goes and be done with this. Unless, ooh, human pregnancy tests don't work on aliens. Exactly. <laughs> hmm. Who knows if a human pregnancy test is going to detect an alien baby? This is also where Isabel has just said this huge thing, and Max's immediate reaction is to go start fighting with Michael. And I'm like, dude, go comfort your sister. She needs emotional support right now. What are you doing? I think this is like a continuation of, like... Max has just been so unhinged the last few episodes as he gets more and more stressed and he's like continues to handle his stress very badly. Like we've had multiple incidents now of him like basically instigating a fight with Michael or other people, you know, because he's like so stressed out, which is just another thing of my adult brain being like, okay, take a step back. Like, We could communicate better about this. (laughs) It's also something Liz pointed out to him a few episodes back where she was like, hey, maybe if you didn't take everything on yourself and you let other people in and you trusted other people to be capable of solving problems, then you wouldn't be so stressed all the time, Max. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's always someone reminding Max of his leadership skills and what he needs to work on (laughs) every episode. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So Max goes to Tess, and he wants her to think that he trusts her, so he tells her that he saw the book and he wants to know everything. So they leave together from school to go somewhere. (laughs) And then at the sheriff's office, our old pal Deputy Hansen shows up to tell the sheriff that Ed Harding's record checks out. He transferred to Roswell from Fort McClellan, which is near Birmingham, Alabama. And before that, he was at the U.S. Army Material Command in Alexandria, Virginia. He's divorced and has one child. And this directly contradicts everything that was in Tess's file, where she came from Chicago and her mother was dead. Yep. Hmm. So. Well, they're not counting on, they were not counting on people 20 years later, like pausing their TV to take studious notes on what's in her school record, Lisa. (laughs) Well, I'm pausing every five seconds, which is why I noticed that Sheriff Valenti (laughs) in the hallway outside of his office has a poster and all we can see of it is that it says alcohol. (laughs) Sure. (laughs) I assume, you know, there are more things on there, but all you can see is alcohol. Just a reminder, like it exists. Maybe you want to drink some after work. I don't know. Pour yourself a nice glass of Jim Beam, Mr. Valenti. (laughs) (laughs) And then Deputy, quote unquote, Dave Fisher shows up. So this made no sense to me. The sheriff requested an extra man six months ago. And then Santa Fe sent someone. Santa Fe's not in the same county as Roswell. They're not sending deputies across county lines to help with traffic enforcement. What? Yeah, that was kind of a stretch. (laughs) Also, this guy says that he's from New Mexico later on, Las Vegas, New Mexico. And I'm like, baby, where is your accent coming from then? He's doing a full-on Southern drawl. So I am suspicious of him. As you should be. (laughs) I can't imagine why. 
<laughs> but I will say, even though he's evil, I would probably just still keep him around just, you know, to look at because he's very pretty. Yes, he is. Very lovely looking. He's a deputy handsome. Hey. <laughs> Speaking of pretty people, we go to the Crashdown kitchen where Isabella's just hanging out with Michael while he's at work, washing dishes and preparing food. This is oh, such a poorly run restaurant. The waiters are just leaving all the time. Half the time there's not a hostess. And yep. the kitchen is just full of folks chilling, hanging out, chatting. And in a little while, literally... Well, Max will already be gone, but the other five of them will all walk out of the restaurant in, together, <laughs> including Maria and Michael, the waitress and the cook. Like, who is running the restaurant when they all walk out in search of Max later? Who? Maybe they just, like, bang a broom on the ceiling and Jeff Parker comes down <laughs> reluctantly and is like, uh, you want me to work in this restaurant that I own? Oh, that's what I had children for. <laughs> Poor Isabel has this really gross line here where she's like, Michael, are you my brother or my mate? I'm like, oh, God, honey. Oh, no. Mm -mm." Well, she's not saying, are you my lover? Because she doesn't feel that way about him. So his mate is uh, a more uh, scientific definition of how she's (laughs) feeling. Did it bother anyone that Michael was doing the dishes? And I don't know, she didn't offer to like help. She was just kind of standing there and complaining. I don't know. I just kind of felt a little bit weird about Michael doing that all by himself. He, she could have just chipped in as well. I mean, yeah. it's his job and she thinks she's pregnant. So, you know, she's right. got to like sit down, it's take a look. <laughs> I was more bothered that no one noticed Maria standing 10 feet away from him in the open entranceway. Just staring at them, having this conversation. Oh, yeah, poor Maria. Poor Maria. Yeah. That part made me so sad. I was like, oh, Michael's being like really nice and understanding to Izzy. This is nice. And then I was like, wait, no, but Maria's going to hear mm. exactly the wrong part of this conversation. And now I'm devastated. Yeah. I was also really sad that Michael said he had never been as happy as he was in that dream. Like, I know that he's had a really rough life, but... He's never experienced just pure joy. Oh, it's kind of brutal. I think he meant that more with that child, though. I think than being with Isabel. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like, I think him seeing that there's a possibility to have a family because he's never had his own, especially with Max and Isabel, like, off, you know, Mm -hmm. it's it's easy for Michael to be like, I want that for myself. I want that for my own self as well. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. And poor Maria, because she's worked so hard on trying to crack that stone wall down and then seeing him do that to Isabel. And we don't really see him do that a lot to Maria, maybe behind the scenes. Um, But yeah, it was really disheartening to see that. Yeah, made me very sad. Also really sad is Ed Harding, Nacedo, just being like, oh, look, it's time for murder. I'm just going to kill a federal agent in the street. Lucky for me, there's no one ever out on the streets of Roswell. (laughs) Yep. Uh. And so we see the silver handprint. So we know for sure that he's definitely just murdering people, not trying to help them. And for whatever reason, the handprint is left when you're healing someone and when you're hurting someone. Mm It seems to just be a side effect of them using their powers. Yeah, just Mm -hmm. either way the powers are used that there's like a magical residue left over from the situation it's lucky for isabel that when she's just like heating up her tacos with her hand it doesn't turn her food all silver because <laughs> that'd be edible <laughs> right? it also be very obvious if they were at school and everyone was like oh yeah that girl's over there just eating her pizza and it's metallic and glowing <laughs> hmm. Hmm. 
weird. <laughs> and then we go to like a field or something. I was unclear on exactly where they were, but Tess and Max are out there. Max says they knew there was a fourth alien, but they thought it was Nisado. And Tess says she knows him. And so I'm wondering, does he go by the name Nisado? Because this was the name Riverdog gave him. And it means stranger in the Mesa Lico language, I assume. And so is this something he adopted for himself? I assume he has a real name. I would like to know his real, you know, alien name, his true identity. It's yeah. a question for later. Yeah, we never find that. I wonder if Tess is using the name as the way, like, the podsters sort of address him. So she's just using the same name. Because I was with you, too. I'd like to know what he what he really is and what his name really is, too. Yeah. It can't just be Ed Harding, too, because it seems like he's had to shift his identity, right? And then presumably she would have had to change her identity, too, so that their names, or at least their last names, were the same. Oh, that's true. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But he seems to have pretty unlimited resources. Yeah. <laughs> so... <laughs> right, yeah. Where is he getting all this money? And... Such a good cover. Does he actually do work for the army and get paid for it? Or is he just independently wealthy? Is he robbing and murdering people? And then like, do-do-do. I mean, he could. Tess says he has like no human connection, that he is fully alien. So maybe he is just murdering and stealing money as he needs it, stealing identities as he needs it. Um, If he has no human conscience, then... So she also says that he has no human form, and that's why he can shapeshift. Why does he not have one but the four of them do? Is it something to do with the pods that they were born in, or the fact that they were supposedly engineered for something? Are they biologically part human? Can we can we tell you that or is No, yeah, I was just making sure like this is not information that we've been <laughs> given, right? We've heard that they no, were raised we by humans yeah. and so they identify as humans, but we don't know their physiology per se. No. We know we their not. blood is weird, so it's lucky that no one ever gave them a blood test in their entire lives. Yes, and I think you're on to something, too, because um, remember, and tell me if I'm getting ahead, but when Max and Tess were walking in that random field, when Max was asking, like, oh, when we have those dreams, like, you know, Tess says, no, the regular human ways still apply when it comes to (laughs) babies. Yeah. Um, my, My guess is because human law still human productiveness and reproduction still applies that would apply to why they can't maybe shapeshift as well as what i was guessing at the time maybe there are blocks there Mm -hmm. yeah maybe they're trapped in these human forms and so they have to follow human rules interesting okay so then we go to the crash down and we meet fake max who in my notes i've been calling him fax And Fax's bangs are just, like, a little bit better than real Max's bangs. (laughs) Yeah. Like, Nacero has a better handle on styling Max's hair than real Max does. Well, we don't know how old he is, so maybe he's just had hundreds of years of practice styling hair. This is true. That's very true. (laughs) I have questions. They're in my unanswered questions section. I have a lot of questions about (laughs) Nacero. Why am I not surprised? (laughs) And once again, demonstrating what a poorly run restaurant The Crashstone is, Liz is like, well, I was about to start my shift, but since you want to be alone together, I'll just blow it off and not tell anyone. Ha, cool. No problem. Oh, buddy. 
This is also where we get the first of our three songs in this episode that are tonally different from what we usually get. They're very heavy, uh, like new metal almost type of songs. Mm-hmm. They're all different than the ones in the original airing. This one is from Jetta Red, and I only bring it up because the original song in the episode when it aired was by a band called Guano Apes, and I thought everyone should know that that's mm-hmm. a thing that exists. Got it. Thanks for that. <laughs> mm-hmm. Was uh, Guano Apes, were they also like a heavy metal feel? Yeah, they're still together, and they are a German um, metal punk rock band. Oh, cool. cool. Mm-hmm. And I was impressed at how Nesato really has Liz figured out. He just goes in and is like, turning on the charm, tells her, this time I just want it to be me and you. We need this, Liz. And she's like, okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> Even though a lot of what they do is just Max and Liz. Like, we were just talking about, like, how Liz knows about the book before any of the other aliens and Max didn't even tell them because that was something Liz and Max experienced together and then didn't share with the rest mm-hmm. of the team. So, But in their minds, every minute that they spent not together is a minute wasted. Uh, right. Yeah. He knows the way to her heart. Mm-hmm. And poor Maria every single time has to like cover everyone. Like every single time. Like she literally she didn't even tell her they were just leaving. They just left right in front of her eyes. And she they actually captured yeah. that. Yeah. And she so. was just not even surprised. She's like, well, there they go. And all right, I guess I got to cover table five. I feel like hashtag poor Maria was really what was in this episode. <laughs> yes. Yes. Oh. And she's so great in this one. She so is. So sad. She's yes. always great. She's my, I'm going to, she's my I'm going to say this right now. She's my favorite too. <laughs> she's my favorite character yeah. in the whole series. Oh yeah. I think that's unanimous yeah. amongst all of us. Oh really? I didn't realize that. Oh look, even Ashley's like, yeah. <laughs> I want to say Isabel's a close second for me, but Maria is number one. And if they got together, that would be swell. <laughs> <laughs> and real Max pulls up to drop off Tess. So they let us know like right away that Nesato is the one who's with Liz. They want us to be worried and it works. It's very scary. And so I mentioned earlier that they left from school and he's dropping off at the crash down where he's also not going because then he drives off. Right. But like, wouldn't her car be at school? Because we know she drives there. We saw it in the last episode. That's true. Well, I mean, we need to have that, like, cool shot of the tight, like, the almost missing each other, or I mean, almost seeing each other, but just missing each other with Fax and Max, so. (laughs) Oh, I know, it's just a thing that the writers do a lot, where I'm just like, guys, it wouldn't have been hard to just write this slightly differently and have it make sense in the universe of the show. 
I also want to know where Max goes after this. I hope that he goes home to look for Isabel, and then when she's not there, he goes to the crash down. But there's an hour before he makes it back later, so he should immediately be trying to find Isabel to tell her, hey, you're not pregnant. This is his only job at this point. Don't worry. What else Mm -hmm. is he doing? Don't worry. You're fine. Mm -hmm. Uh, Buddy. It's too bad Liz is the only one with a cell phone. Maybe he's got to go home and, like, make a snack. (laughs) Maybe he's hungry and doesn't have any allowance. (laughs) Oh, no, wait. Isabel does have a cell phone. Does Isabel have a cell phone? Do we see her using it? Remember that one in River Dog? She was like, Michael, don't call Maria. She talks a lot. You're going to waste all my minutes. Do you remember (gasps) that? Mm, So maybe let's hope Max called Isabel, then went to the crash (laughs) down so that this makes sense. Because you're right, there are there are a lot of plot points that take place now until the last episode of which you'll see. But it's like putting all those plot points together is is what's going to, you know, it's like tying in everything together. And it's like really hard to watch it because you're just kind of like frustrated, right? As you see this and they're not doing things right, <laughs> you know, like according to us <laughs> by, like by far. So, um. Speaking of cell phones, we are, like, in the year 2000, we are kind of in this, like, dead zone where people are not yet, like, attached to their cell phones like we are used to being now. Like, and I know, like, we all remember those times when, like, you, maybe your cell phone's not charged. Maybe you don't have minutes. Maybe you, like, forgot you have a cell phone because, like, it's still a new concept to you. Like, there's still a lot of uh, options for them not to be able to get a hold of each other, even if they do have cell phones. Yeah, or maybe yeah. it was just so heavy that Isabel couldn't carry it around anymore. <laughs> it just paid a thousand pounds. A brick. <laughs> okay, so here's my question. If you are planning to kidnap someone, would you bring along a Chrysler Sebring convertible? Because it seems like a poor choice to me. <laughs> But it's a sexy car. Very easy to hop out of. Only if Liz is brave enough to hop out of a moving vehicle. Or a non-moving vehicle, which we'll get to at the gas station when I'm just screaming at her, but whatever. Run! Run! I was doing the same thing. (laughs) Yeah. So in the next scene, we have Fax driving Liz down the road and... He's like, nothing will ever come between us. And there's really bad ADR here. There are two lines that are clearly ADR that Liz says, where she's like, tell me something I don't know. And then after that, when he says, ooh, if you keep that up, I'm going to have to pull over. And she's like, is that a threat or a promise? I'm like, all right. So where did this come from? Liz was just like, oh, hey, I know Tess has this pull over you, but you still kissed her. And I don't know if things will ever be the same between us again. Now, all of a sudden, she's just like, what's happening? Teen hormones. Teen hormones Mm -hmm. is happening. Mm, I feel like her feelings would be even more conflicted now when they know that there's this whole destiny thing involved that's supposed to be happening. Maybe she's trying to remind Max of his feelings for her. But it seems weird to me. Again, it, it is weird, but I think at the time it did go over my head. And now I look at it and it's like, I have to read fan fiction about it to make sense of it. Because a lot of fanfic writers 
who feel the same way and they have to write like behind the scenes like stories to kind of make sense of all this because we're older now and it you know (laughs) yeah to like fill in the gaps that we're not seeing in the show yes so they do pull off the road and liz just jumps on top of facts and they start making out and she gets these really disturbing flashes they're in black and white and there's a dead woman in one of them and then there's just a bunch of other like quick dangerous looking flashes i it's unclear but i think she's starting to suspect there's something going on but i don't know that it's occurred to her this could be the shapeshifter that they've been talking about yeah she's yeah something's wrong but she hasn't put the pieces together yet mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and then we go get maria's heart broken outside by a dumpster out back of the crash down i think she's very emotionally mature here there's not that like false conflict thing that we find a lot where, oh, she's like going to Alex and being like, yeah. oh, Michael did this horrible thing. She just goes straight to Michael and she's like, hey, I overheard this. I trust you and I trust our relationship enough to think it must be a weird alien thing because you wouldn't do something so cruel and heartless to me. So tell me what's going on. Also, I thought this person was your sister and now you're sleeping with her. That's real mm-hmm. weird. <laughs> and Michael does not react super well because he's Michael yes. and he has this yes. temper and he takes everything I was personally. So disappointed in his reaction, but that is a very true to character reaction, right? From Michael. And mm-hmm. and you're right. Um, Maria tends to be much more emotionally mature a lot. She's yeah. she's been dealt with a heart like a hard hand of cards as well cuz her father, you know, left her family. So, for her, she's had to grow up really mm-hmm. fast, you know, being there with her mom, you know, and taking care of each other. So, it's like this scene where you're so proud of one character and so disappointed in the other one. Just <sighs> Yeah. And the thing here is I totally get what Michael is saying. And I think he could have said all of these things in different words and in a gentler tone. And it would have been fine if he had just been like, hey, Isabel's my priority right now. We don't know what's happening. She's going through something really traumatic and I need to be there for her. You and I will talk this through another time. It would have been fine. But instead, he's just like, this isn't about our stupid relationship, Maria. He literally could have said, yes, this is a weird alien thing. And that is important right now. I'll talk to you later. Like, she literally gave him an out. She's like, I'm assuming this is a weird alien thing. Yep, sure is. Yeah. I think this shows really good character growth for Maria because we've seen her in previous stressful situations where she's just totally flipping out. I think she's come a long way Mm -hmm. here. She doesn't do that. She's very calm. She's very thoughtful. And again, she is being good about just telling Michael what she expects. She just wants to talk. And he can't do it for her. He can't give her what she deserves. <sighs> I know. Mm, what a bummer. So it does seem Maria told Alex about the baby. So maybe we just didn't see the scene where she went to him like, oh my gosh, Michael did this thing. And he was like, go talk to him. Maybe it happened off camera. I don't yeah. know. But Alex handles this better than anyone has Ugh, any right yes. to handle anything. <laughs> I love Alex. <laughs> it's so sweet. He's, He's yeah. just immediately like, I'm here for you. What do you need? He doesn't ask her what happened between her and Michael. He doesn't ask if they slept together. He's just like, you said you wanted a relationship with me. I know that that's real. I don't need to know any other information except how can I support you? Yeah. (sighs) Why can't we all just have someone like that in this life? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I know. 
And he's like not the one we all crushed on as kids either. Like, you know, we all want I Michael. Want Michael. Let's be let's honest. Be honest. Bad boy. <laughs> let's be honest. He's kind of a dick. And like, and Alex is over here being like the perfect man and nobody sees it. Uh, or none of our 16 year old selves see it. Yeah. So the opposite of a perfect man is this freaking jerk just going through the sheriff's files in his office. He does have a really good cover. He has like the sticky notes on his fingers. He's just like, just color code and sheriff being a go-getter. And he also, like Nisado, has done his research and he knows how to successfully manipulate Mm -hmm. people. He gives the sheriff the exact story that would make the sheriff um, receptive to him about how his dad was a sheriff and he's just trying to live up to his dad's expectations and very subtly is like, so is your son a gigantic disappointment to you? <laughs> uh, uh, uh? Can I be your son proxy? Ha, 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 ha. I'll fix your car. <laughs> <laughs> this guy needs to talk to his union. I mean, if he... We're an actual deputy and not like an evil FBI guy. I would be very upset that he was forced to do all of these non-law enforcement type jobs. Well, somebody's got to do them. Yeah, the mechanic. The department probably has a contract (laughs) with a local mechanic that they pay to do this. You don't have your deputies like fixing your car. That's not appropriate. (laughs) I know, especially that they got them all from Santa Fe just to do like odd end jobs like that. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Right. And he thinks that he's staying for a while. He's got a lease on an apartment already. I don't really understand how any of this is supposed to work. So Michael hasn't been the most thoughtful with Maria, but he is being very supportive Mm -hmm. of Isabel. He brings her a glass (laughs) of milk for the calcium. Like, Uh okay, good effort. (laughs) Very cute. And it seems like he wants to explore what it would look like for them to be together. Isabel says this can't be. And Michael's like, I know, but why not? Like, oh, Michael, that's, uh, hmm. You're not having brotherly feelings anymore? I think that goes back to whether or not he understands how all of it works. Like, he has that feeling from the dream of how happy he was. So he is ready to explore, like, if that dream is prophetic and he could be that happy... Like, he's ready to explore that even if it's not in the way that he expected Mm, it. That's possible, yeah. Then Max comes in, and to his credit, he does immediately and gently tell Isabel that she's Mm -hmm. not pregnant. So he's like an hour late, but whatever, (laughs) he got there. And we get a song change here from the original. So when this first broadcast, we had a Chris Cornell song, which I think is better, but no one asked me. (laughs) So... In the version that you have on DVDs and streaming, this is an Athenaeum song. Mm -hmm. They use them a lot. It's the third time that we've had one of their songs in an episode. Nomi, I'm curious, since you watched the original when it was on, do you notice? Yes. Like the whole heat wave scene with Michael and Maria making out. I like the new, I mean, I don't have anything against the music that's now in the recent ones, you know, given with copyright, they had to do all that. But the original one, you guys know, like that was, it was better. I mean, it was just, 
you notice it. I don't know if Lorena notices it too. At times, mm-hmm. like the feels you get are sometimes different. Like, yeah, I don't have like clear memories of the original stuff because I like I don't have those VHSs that I taped off TV <laughs> anymore. Like, I only have the DVDs, so like I don't have clear memories. But like, since Lisa does all the notes on like what the songs used to yeah. be, there's a lot of times I'm like. Oh, yeah, I could picture how good of a fit that would be. Like, oh. (laughs) And I go through when I watch on my second watch, which is my note-taking watch, I have this live journal we've mentioned. Thanks, Mm -hmm. Sweet Honey Girl. She listed all of the original songs and then the new songs. And so if there's one that I'm like, oh, like this one, I was like, Chris Cornell, that would probably be way better. So I put it on on YouTube while watching the scene. I'm like, yeah, this is better. (laughs) Yeah. And that that whole scene when Max comes in, you know, at that part, you know how you were saying like, so cringy with Michael is he kind of accepting Isabella's as sister to like have this baby well right away he's like I gotta go talk to someone and he goes like to Maria really quickly yeah and you're so relieved at that point like oh my goodness thank god <laughs> sorry babe I messed right. up sorry <laughs> I was very happy that Michael went over to Maria but I thought when Max told them oh Isabel you're definitely not pregnant that's good news right they were both kind of like yeah and I thought (laughs) maybe they would be a little more relieved than this at 16 17 (laughs) no you don't need to be potentially having a baby with your maybe sibling I do really like that when Michael goes to tell Maria like oh Isabel isn't pregnant her immediate response is, thank God, yeah. is Isabella right? Mm-hmm. That's so Maria. Yeah. It's very yeah. mature and shows that she cares about the group. It's not like a lot of what happens between Liz and Max, where it's the two of them and they really mm-hmm. care about each other. The group kind of seems secondary to them a lot. Maria is part yes. of the group. She cares about everyone. Yeah. And she probably is feeling a lot of really strange feelings right now towards Michael and towards Isabel, but it doesn't affect the way that she is. She's very thoughtful. She's mm-hmm. considerate. She's caring. Yeah, We see that from her time and time again, like even just with, um, I think it's the episode crazy when they like take the vote and then she changes mm-hmm. her vote to side with the aliens because she sees how important it is to them. Like that's her again. Like maybe her initial feelings would, would have been, to you know go the way of Alex and Liz but she sees what's important for the group and so that takes precedence over her personal feelings that's a really good example she does that a lot yeah and then we have this really well done moment where Max comes in and he's like oh I haven't seen Liz since this morning and Maria is like no I saw you leaving here with her an hour ago and they all sort of seem to realize at the same time like oh no Nisado has kidnapped Liz and this is a really dangerous Mm -hmm. situation and it was a whole hour ago they could be anywhere by now they could be in Texas by now (laughs) right (laughs) yep they're probably holed up at the geodesic dome yep (laughs) so then we get this scene where Liz thinks that Tess has done something to Max. She hasn't figured out that it's not real Max until she gets the phone call from real Max. But meanwhile, Nacedo is just casually on the side of the highway pulling a dead FBI agent's body out of his trunk. She doesn't notice that. Yes. There's all these lines that go on before she even like points out the body. Do you guys see, did you guys notice that? They are having like all this dialogue. The first thing she should be saying is there's a dead body. (laughs) Like, how do you not, like, 
How do you ignore that? Yeah, what are you doing <laughs> holding a dead body? <laughs> like, and again, they're in a convertible. It's not like she can't see. Her view isn't and blocked. Hear it. Like, it's loud. Like, he's dragging the body, like, out and everything. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, this is real weird. And then I do really like watching Jason Bear do the creepy act. He's so good at it. It's a little disturbing. Mm-hmm. And so this is where we see that they're on this highway. And in a little bit, Nisato is going to call up and tell the FBI his clue. So, of course, I looked it up, and the place where they're at is actually a little less than an hour outside of Roswell. Yay! So someone did some research for this episode. Yay, good job, research team. (laughs) Or they just took a guess and got lucky, who knows. I'm gonna gonna give them one. They did their research. I'm giving them a point. (laughs) Back at the crashdown, all the kids are trying to decide what to do, and Max wants to go to Valenti because whenever Liz is involved, he just wants to throw caution to the wind, do whatever he needs to do to get her to safety, which I understand, but I also understand Michael and Isabel being like, hey, remember that time that you spilled our secret and completely upended our lives? You want to do that again? Does that seem like a good idea to you? So I understand where everyone's coming from. I think Michael's right. They can't just tell Valenti to go searching for Max's evil twin. This fair point. (laughs) Yeah. But luckily, Maria comes through to save the day with her brilliant plan. Although, I will say I don't know how they're going to explain this later. She and Alex go to the sheriff's office and they're like, oh, so Liz thought that she and Max were going on this romantic outing, but then he was being weird and he started scaring her and he wouldn't let her leave. So... Now Valenti just thinks that Max is going around yep. kidnapping people. This isn't going to go well down the road. But it's going to go better than having to tell Valenti that there are two Maxes and Max has an evil twin. <laughs> yeah, fair. I mean, he's going to figure it out by the end of the episode, though. Yes, he is. Then we go back to our scene that gives me the name of my new travel blog, On the Road with Facts and Liz. <laughs> so Nisato, of course, picks up the phone and says, hello, FBI. That's how that works, right? <laughs> I'm going to, yeah, just call the like 1-800 number on their website and just, <laughs> hello? And in the whole FBI, there is no agent with the last name mm-hmm. Pierce. Of course mm-hmm. not. So finally, Liz is like, oh, this person is super dangerous. And so she asks if he's going to kill her. And I like her attitude in this. She's not scared. She's not shaking. She's just like, so you're going to kill me too? And she's a little judgy about it, which I appreciate. And oh, it's so creepy when he's like, ooh, I like this body. I like being Max. I like being 17. I don't think you would have been as friendly with Ed Harding. It's so gross. Oh my gosh. No, she not friendly to Ed Harding at all. No, this is sexual assault. She was kissing him thinking that he was someone else. This is not okay. It's probably really traumatic for Liz in a lot of ways. Oh, it's so gross. Yeah. <sighs> and he's who knows how old and she's 16 and he's just like, hey, mm-mm. It's, oh no, it's bad. It's very bad. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm not really sure why Liz is surprised that he's also Ed Harding, because it seems like that's the logical conclusion. Well, she's under a lot of stress. Maybe she's just not putting those pieces together. That's fair. Okay. What did y'all think of Nisato's plan? Because I think it's a bad, dumb plan that was bound to go poorly. His whole plan is to be Max 
as bait to draw Pierce out so he can kill Pierce, I guess. But he's also thinking, well, if I don't kill Pierce, then I can use Liz as collateral and she'll be my hostage. But like, what's the negotiation that he was going to engage in? Yeah. Doesn't Liz kind of call him out? Like, this is not Mm -hmm. a good plan. Like, Pierce wants to kill me, too. Like, this is not going to be a hostage trade-off. Like Right, and it doesn't occur to him that Max is going to come after Liz. Later in the episode, Liz is like, well, I know it didn't occur to you because you don't care about anyone, but if he has been successfully impersonating a human for all this time, you would think he would have learned something about human behavior. He was really good at manipulating Liz. He's gotten his way on a lot of things, so he clearly knows how to talk mm-hmm. to people. I think he would know or be able to predict that if you think you're in love with someone and then they get kidnapped by a known murderer you're gonna go after them Mm -hmm. one would think yeah i think at the time when i was watching this as a as a teenager i think part of me kind of realized well you know liz was saved by max so that is appealing to the special unit right it is appealing to test on someone if they've been saved and they came back from the dead and how that was Mm -hmm. accomplished so i think that's intriguing and i think secondly i think ed harding assumed and maybe even, like, felt overconfident that they would be able together as a unit to, like, defeat the special unit and still save Liz. So he does say to Liz, he's like, I will protect them at all costs. So we know that Ed Harding is a protector, but um, his creepy ways make you pause a lot. Like him, he's just such a creeper, yeah. like, yeah. appearing out of nowhere from a rock and, like, you know, kissing Liz, <sighs> not really being a father to Tess. It's really creepy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And in this scene, he says to Liz, you could come in extremely handy in terms of my survival. And even if you don't, you've been fantastic company. Mm. And then gives her this look that is so objectifying and so gross. Mm. I'm simultaneously like, ew, I hate you. And also like, oh, good job, Mm. Jason Bear. He's playing against his usual type and he's doing it really well. Yeah. I always love episodes of TV where things like this, where there's an evil twin or there's you know, some mm-hmm. reason where an actor just really gets to show their chops in a different way. Yeah. I think it's always a lot of fun. So even if, like, Ed Harding is a creep, Jason Bear is doing a great job of, as you said, playing against his type. It's always good to see. Mm-hmm. So they pull into this gas station, and Nisato stops the car, gets out long enough to put his hand on one pump and then blow up another pump. And Liz is just in a convertible that she could easily get out of. She could run into the store. She could be like, call 911. This guy has kidnapped me. And instead, she just sits there patiently waiting for him to blow up the gas pump and come back to her so they can leave. What are you doing, Liz? I know. I'm like, your fight or flight, like your flight should be winning right now. Like, no matter what the situation is, like, why aren't you running? Like, even if it was, like, a a little clip of her trying to run and him capturing her and them running off yeah. again, you know? Maybe she's just frozen? <laughs> mm-hmm. Maybe she yeah. was frozen, and there weren't a lot of people around at the time. So it's kind of hard to, you know, it's really easy to target her when she's not around a lot of people, not a crowd. Not like at the carnival where they go. Exactly. <laughs> where she does actually oh, try. Yeah. We'll get there. So- <laughs> oh boy. Yeah. When she thinks she stands a chance of getting lost in the crowd, then she mm-hmm. attempts escape. Yeah. But- and then once again, we're on the empty, empty streets of Roswell where Michael is pretty much kidnapping Tess. 
I would love to know where she was going and how they knew where she would be at that particular time. It seems like they all showed up just to grab her. And, oh, why is there never anyone outside in Roswell? Why? Because it's hot. It's the desert. I don't know. Because they closed down the streets and didn't allow pedestrians to walk down so they could film. That's why. And we know they were low budget because the boys were doing their own hair and the girls were doing their own makeup. So they probably couldn't pay for extras for unnecessary scenes. No, they only hire extras when they get to dress them up as nuns and stick them in the crash down cafe. (laughs) So the next scene, I also was a little unclear on what exactly Pierce's motivations are because he knows at this point who Max is and what Max looks like. Topolsky has given him all of this information, and so what he does doesn't make sense to me. He knows it's the aliens, he knows what's going on, he uh, sees the jeep coming around the corner, and he is just like, oh, well, the pretty one flirted with me, so bye. But this seems like the perfect opportunity. The sheriff is gone. He could just be like, oh, hey, kids, I'm going to need you to come into the station for a minute. And then like, boom, 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 boom. Ooh, now you're in a windowless FBI unmarked van. Take him away. I don't know what happened here. It's because we as an audience don't know that he's Pierce yet, Lisa. <laughs> but they tell us by the end of the episode. So then we are wondering retroactively we need, we need what he minutes. was thinking. <laughs> we need 10 more minutes of, uh, of suspense. <laughs> okay, so this is our second heavy metal song of the episode when they're coming into the carnival. It's like really heavy metal. Oh, yeah, it's really <gasps> intense. It's like re- that was a change. I felt that. <laughs> this was Luna Halo's Aliens, which replaced Tam's Aliens. So I think they were going for the title here more than the tone, perhaps. But yeah, this was one sense. where I looked up the original song and I was like, oh, no, I can't listen to this. This is just <laughs> not for me. Not my style. And Liz is face to face with a carnival worker, a person who, like, Nisada wouldn't be able to easily kill because there are a bunch of people around. So Liz could just be like, oh, I think the pee is over there. And also this man has kidnapped me. Please call the police immediately. Help me. Help me. Yep. (sighs) Or, I mean, she's in a crowded place. She could just start yelling, help, help. This guy is trying to hurt me. Help. There are a lot of witnesses around. You know, but I wonder here if she was worried, if she asked for help, if that would put Max and Michael and Isabel in danger then. Like, would that then bring attention then to Nisado? And, you know, maybe she was trying to be super careful and just quietly run away without bringing too much attention. That's possible. I like the way you think. (laughs) I also wonder why Nisado thought it was a good idea to meet Pierce in such a public place. It seems like if he wants to murder him, it would be good to do it somewhere like where he could lead him into an alleyway like he did with the last guy. That's true. That I don't get either. Maybe for him, too, it's part of, like, I don't know, there's, like, a thrill aspect to it. You know, he's made this big plan. Whether or not we think it's a good plan, he's made this big plan. You know, so maybe part of it is just, like, the thrill of the chase, almost. If it didn't happen in a fun and crazy way, did it happen at all? (laughs) So he's just an adrenaline junkie. (laughs) Which, Mm -hmm. I mean, it makes sense for a serial killer he probably does have some sort of emotional response to the thrill he's got to get his kicks somewhere Uh, kissing liz and uh, planning big uh big uh murder takedowns oh so gross this is where he says that all he cares about is protecting them meaning the aliens Mm -hmm. 
And this raises a lot of questions for me that we can talk about in unanswered questions. <laughs> then we have these little back and forth. We're at the mile marker. The sheriff pulls up to see the FBI guys, and they're just like, okay, bye. We got this dead body here. See you later. And then Tess is in the Jeep with all of them, and she wants them to embrace their destiny. And she's like, Liz is human. She has nothing to do with us. And Max is like, no, you have nothing to do with us. I'm like, ooh, gotcha. <laughs> and she tries to get support from Michael and Isabel, and they're both kind of like, mm-hmm. yeah, well, yeah. You don't have anything to do with us. Where have you been our whole lives? Like, we're a team. You're still new. Yep. And Tess recognizes the FBI agents who are by the side of the road as being from the special unit. So I'm guessing these guys must have been on this for a while, which makes it an excellent idea for all four of the aliens to turn their faces fully towards the agents and stare at them as they go past. (laughs) Oh, great way to hide, everyone. Great. (laughs) And then back at the carnival, Nisato is telling Liz that Max and Tess are destined to be together. And Liz is like, you don't understand. Max and I saw into each other's souls. And Nisato is just like, okay, little girl. Okay. He's like, yeah, you saw into my soul when I kissed you, too. (laughs) Like, that's nothing. That's nothing new. Mm -hmm. Although his soul is black and white and scary. I was going to say, at the same time, that's kind of a cool thing that Liz can do by just kissing someone you can see like their inner soul so I guess it comes in handy in this situation (laughs) yeah so then this poor lady is just standing there being like I don't believe in aliens and Nesado causes this beam of light to shoot up from her body (laughs) it seems like he could have done this without involving her this poor random old lady Oh, look at that, and the symbol goes in the air. Yeah, Yeah, the swirly symbol that we keep seeing is projected into the air so that the sheriff and the FBI guys can see it. Yeah. Okay, now Liz decides that instead of hiding somewhere, she's going to stand on the carousel, where she is plainly visible to everyone, (laughs) and just on a rotating display, so that wherever Nisato goes, he'll be sure to see her. (laughs) My only thought with this was that Yes, she's visible, but she can also see 360 degrees around her. So it gives her a vantage point to at least be able to see where he is. Like, yeah, she's not hiding herself well, mm-hmm. but she also can see everything that's going on from there. Um, but then he, like, pops up right behind her somehow, like magic. So creepy. <laughs> so creepy. <laughs> yeah. I was thinking the same thing, too. I think she had a good 360 degree view. And then the way she jumps off the horse on the carousel is really yeah. cool. It was very, like, smooth. Very, like, a nice roll. Like, very graceful. Yes. Her stunt double did a good job. I'm assuming that was a stunt double. <laughs> Probably, yeah. So Liz goes into the mirror maze, which is a fun TV and movie trope that we see frequently. And we get our third hard rock metal song here. So we know that things are getting real. (laughs) And then Valenti sees them go in, so he follows them. And then Real Max sees Valenti go in, so he follows him. So it's a whole thing. And as in many movies that use this trope, these mirrors do not actually work the way that mirrors in the real world work. There are a lot of times when there's an object that looks like it should be right there, but then it's not. It's actually way far away, or it's in a totally different spot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love the... I I love, like, funhouse mirrors in movies. Like, it 
always adds good drama. So this trope has been going on for a long time. The first example I could find was The Lady from Shanghai, which is a 1947 Ooh, Orson Welles movie. Old. So it has a long and storied history. Yeah. 1947 is a pretty big year. Yes. <laughs> yes, it here. is. <laughs> Look at that. <laughs> so Max finally gets to come face to face with his evil impersonator. Mm-hmm. And Nisado is like surprised that Max is there, even though Liz has told him Max loves me and he will come for me. Yeah, Max will come rescue me. He didn't believe her. So Liz has the opportunity to leave, but she doesn't want to go without real Max. And then the FBI agents show up and there's this weird shootout between the sheriff and the fake deputy and the FBI agents. And I'm like, guys, this is such a dumb move. You're in a public space where you can't really see what's going on. So just to start firing your deadly weapons. Yes. Because there's little kids there, too. It's not yeah, like they cleared the mirror. <laughs> right. There are probably families just wandering around right now, totally freaked out as they hear gunshots mm-hmm. all around them. Yeah. And they can't figure out how to get yes. out because they're in a funhouse yes. mirror. <laughs> so when they're running away, the sheriff sees both Maxes. Mm. <gasps> and... So then Fax takes Liz outside to this unlocked school bus that's just on the grounds of the carnival where anyone can go in to maybe make out or whatever. Mm -hmm. But Liz thinks for a minute at least that she is with real Max. That's right. Until she kisses Mm -hmm. him again because Mm -hmm. they're in the clear and she gets the creepy black and white soul visions again and mm-hmm. is not with real oh, Max. No. Yes. And Nasato is like, oh, I've got to get Max back. And so he does his changey thing. And he is Lorena. You want to tell us all about it? This is Lorena's area of expertise. He's a creepy carnival clown. Your favorite scary Yay. clowns. This is my favorite TV trope. Let's all be scared of clowns. Um, I don't know if you know this about me, know me from my bio or from previous episodes, but I was a circus clown for eight years. Um, that was my oh. profession before um, before I worked in entertainment marketing. I was a professional clown, but not a carnival clown. I worked for a circus. It's very different. Um, <laughs> very different. And, uh, but yeah. And so, you definitely weren't terrifying. Correct. I was adorable. Um, if I do say so myself, <laughs> and many other people have said it too. Um, I used to say that when people asked me what my special skills were, I would say, I'm adorable. That's my special <laughs> skill. Aww. But yeah, so I I am not a big fan of the creepy clown trope or anything that just likes to perpetuate that clowns are out there for anything other than to spread joy and happiness, because that really was what we were all about. Um, The clowns were Mm -hmm. the Mm -hmm. human element of the circus, like everybody around you is doing all these fantastic, huge death-defying feats and the clowns are the ones reacting to and like being um basically being the humans in the circus for the audience to be able to relate to when everything around them is so fantastic so yeah and not horrifying murderers yes correct not not what i'm about (laughs) 
Anyway, but yes, Nacero turns into a creepy clown. Yeah, and Liz runs away from him and mm. finds Isabel, Tessa, and Michael. Yeah. And she is, oh my gosh, Sherry Appleby does such a good job here looking so sad and so scared. She's like, they have Max. And Michael just goes and hugs her. Mm-hmm. Oh, good job, <gasps> yes. Michael. Yeah, oh. sometimes Michael yes. is really good at things. <laughs> like, yes. Sometimes he's really good at emotions and support. And yeah. Yeah. And at this point, we didn't see him ever react like that to Liz since the time. Remember when, mm-hmm. when he stole her journal? Yes. Like, that was where we saw a little bit of them, like him accepting her. And then I think that time when he gave that hug, it was like a time where she really needed like support and he gave yeah. it. And it's like just showing how much he feels like yeah. she's a part of their yeah. group, you know, like. He was also the one when she was at Tess's house in Tess Lies and Videotape. He was the one who said, we have to go help her. It doesn't matter what the danger is. She's one of us and we have to go. And so he clearly Mm -hmm. thinks of her as part of the group. It's very nice, Mm -hmm. especially considering how he started out being so suspicious of her and being like, Max, what's wrong with you, buddy? Yeah. Well, I mean, him being with Maria has really, uh, I think added to his empathy a lot even if he doesn't always show it well with maria like i think just him Mm -hmm. being around her and having him having her in his life has really like opened up his mind a lot too agreed yeah Mm -hmm. and then we have this bummer of an ending where max is in this white tiled room (gasps) yeah and we don't know what's gonna happen and yeah. we, we finally get the reveal here that our faux deputy is actually Pierce, the alien hunter, and he is going to start questioning Max in the morning. Oh, no. Oh, oh poor, Max. poor Max. Yeah. That's the one scene, too, that resonates, whether I was watching it as a teenager and even now, it's just so heart-wrenching. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That yeah. scene where it looks like he's caged in. And it's yeah. just like everything that the aliens have been fearing their whole lives, and it's happening to Max now. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. I don't like mm-hmm. it. Hopefully, we get some yeah. some better things in the next episode. We only have two more episodes left yeah. in the season. We're so close to the end. Yeah. Woo. Yeah. Well, maybe that's a time. I know we usually do questions first, but. Do we want to go into Lisa's predictions first? Like, what do you see happening? Yeah, what do you see, Lisa? (laughs) Well, I know that the next episode is called The White Room, which I'm assuming is a reference to the room that Max is going to be interrogated in that we just saw. Mm -hmm. I think that's going to be really Mm -hmm. upsetting to watch. I know that it's network TV, so it's not going to be gruesome, but I would imagine it's going to be, you know, some sort of psychological torture I think at some point Valenti will get involved and will help save Max and the kids will finally start trusting him, I hope. I also think that Nisato is going to reveal more about their past and about the destinies we've been hearing about. I think he has to have more information. Mm -hmm. And so Max Mm -hmm. is going to be forced into this place where he has to choose between Tess and his alien life and destiny and Liz and his human life and making his own destiny. Mm -hmm. So I'd imagine that that's going to be a little bit more of a stark choice Mm -hmm. either at the end of the season or the beginning of next season. So, oh man, I don't know. I'm very worried for everyone right now. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's a daunting time for them right now. Yeah. 
Um, what are some of your questions that you have? Yeah, so we've touched on some of them about Nisato's true form and his true name and identity. Yes. But I'm also mm-hmm. wondering, was he in the 47 crash with them? Or was he here before? Did he come in a separate event somehow? If he crashed with them, was he the one who put the pods in the cave? And if he was, then why didn't he just stick around to see if or when they hatched? And if he wasn't, then who put them there and why? Are there a bunch of other aliens? Are there other caves with little alien baby pods in them? What's going on? Who else is here? What has Nisato been doing? How did he find Tess, but he didn't find the other three? I don't understand if he knew that she was in Roswell. Then wouldn't he have stuck around and looked for other baby aliens who might have also been in Roswell? There's so many questions. So many questions. <laughs> and I'm also wondering why Pierce didn't come to town sooner. We know that he had this information from Topolsky. She involved other special unit agents way far back when she was in Roswell. And then and then he debriefed her and it had been at least a month because she was in that psychiatric hospital for a month. So why now? What made them decide now is the right time to come and try to get the aliens? Yeah. All right. Well, then it's time then now for our hot and saucy picks. Now let's see who's hot and saucy. Saucy. I think Nomi, you should go first this week. Who is your hot and saucy pick for this episode, which if you've been since you've been listening along with us, you know, it can be someone who's just traditionally hot or someone who's a little bit saucy in their attitude or both. <laughs> <laughs> so I know that I know what you guys do for hot and saucy, but I know that sometimes you break away from it to like emphasize a certain moment. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to do that. Sure. I think I'm going to emphasize the um, when Michael hugged Liz moment. I know it's neither hot or saucy, but it was sort of hot that like the bad boy of the show like did that I don't know it was really really sweet that he comforted Liz it was a very out of character moment that just shines about his evolution Mm, I think as Michael Guerin great what about you Lisa it will shock everyone to learn that I have chosen Maria (laughs) but particularly for the emotional maturity that she displays and how much she is just there for Michael and also there for Isabel. We all know how I feel about Maria and Isabel. So I really just (laughs) like that her heart is always in the right place. Even when she is hurt by something, she's thinking about other people and what their experiences are. So I think Mm -hmm. that that's really hot, right? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, my moment, my hot moment is also a moment of emotional maturity um, because can you tell we're all like grownups in our thirties? We're like emotional maturity is hot. <laughs> um, but my moment is, um, Alex when he's with Isabel and he says, look, you said you wanted a relationship and I know you meant that. And that means I'm here for you, whatever you need. Like it's a moment where yeah. he could have been a real dick. Like he could have been an asshole. He could have walked out of the picture and he's like, no, I'm here for you. Whatever you need. I don't care if this baby is mine. I don't care if you're having a baby, not having a baby, whatever's going on. I am here for you when you need me, how you need me. And that is H.O.T. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. Very nice. 
Thanks for joining us for this episode chock full of action, excitement, and adventure. We'll be back Tuesday, May 26th with episode 21, The White Room. But first, join us next Tuesday for a mini-sode on UFO religions. Specifically, we will be talking about realism. And if you remember from our first mini-sode on UFO religions, these are the folks who claim to have cloned humans. So tune in to find out what the heck that's all about. And please remember to subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen and leave us a rating and review to help other folks find us. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Roswell Hot Sauce. And you can send us an email anytime at roswellhotsauce at gmail.com. You can also find our guest host for today, Nomi, on Twitter and Instagram at Roswell Back. And you can follow her personal adventures at 9loveletters9. That's the number 9, love letters, the number 9. And as always, you can find our show notes, bios, and more information at our website at roswellhotsauce.com. And thanks again to Nomi for joining us for this episode. Pass the Hot Sauce is produced and edited by Ashley Hullett. Our theme music is by David Belcourt, and our logo was designed by Billy Murray. Until next time, remember... We don't know how we get pregnant. All I know is that something is happening inside of my body and we don't know what it is.